Hello, sports fans. We had some volleyball games. That was exciting. Two second team or second place uh, finishes here in the area with Marshall and uh, Tracy. Congratulations to all that were involved in that. I uh, watched Sid back there uh, for a couple of games on Thursday and Friday, and man, can she hit the ball. If you haven't seen her yet, you need to. She can really smack it. Um, so, you know, what, what is it? How many of you here consider yourself competitive? Come on, really? Okay, let me ask it a different way. Keep your hands up. Now, the rest of you, raise your hands too. And then put your, put your fingers up here like this. Do you feel a pulse? Then you're competitive. Okay? And I mean that. God has designed some mechanism in us that, that makes us want to endure, that makes us want to pursue. He pursues us with an undying love. Um, you can, you can think back probably to times in your life where you thought, well, I really want that. It might be a material thing. It might be a, a spiritual thing. It might be an emotional thing. But, but you ask yourself, just like I do, boy, I'd really like that. So what we're going to focus on is that little competitive mechanism here uh, this morning and, and what to do with that. Because a lot of times I think we... we uh, we put it in the wrong spot. We put it in the wrong box. We put it in the box of it's going to lead to pride, it's going to re- lead to greed, it's going to lead to wanting more. There's another box you can put it into also. You can be completely open with it and it can lead to pride and it can lead to greed and it can lead to wanting more. But make no mistake about it, every single one of us here has a competitive drive inside of, inside of us. Paul speaks to this, which I'll, which I'll um, bring out here later on. But, but, you know, October is one of the richest months in sports. Got the World Series going on. Basketball starting up. We got sports fans in here? I'd say most people are sports fans. Okay, well, what about other competition like, like band, like dance? I don't think I'm leaving anybody out here. Music. We all like to compete. We have that competitive spirit inside of us. You know, by now in the NFL, it's, it's going uh, full steam ahead. Actually, I think Johnny's probably watching college ball right now and figured out who the Vikings are going to draft in April. <laughs> Is it April? Hockey. That's going full steam. Uh, volleyball tournaments, bas- basketball starting up. We can busy our lives with all of these things. And we can be hard on them, but we can also use them for God's glory. When I see young teams like uh, Tracy praying together and eating together before games, what a platform that is to be an example to shed light on a dark world. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. The important thing here, this is the center point of the message, to fix our eyes on the right things, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on the Word of God as, as He lays these desires, these dreams, these visions out in our heart. Fixing our eyes on God is something that I would 
exhort everybody here to meditate on. And it means so much more than just looking at Him. Fix our eyes on Jesus as we do what? As we compete for the faith. But God put this mechanism inside of us, right? Um, all too often, uh, when we think about doing something, as I started to say, Mike spoke about doing something a few weeks ago, ago here, and I think all of us were impacted by, by that message. Do something. Do something. Well, doing something is what we are to do when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. My encouragement is not to just, just look at Him. Look at Him when you're doing something. Look at Him when, when you're carrying out the dreams and the visions that God has put inside of you to do in order to be that example, to be that shining light in a dark world. That will draw others to Himself. Amen. Amen. All too often, we fear that doing something will result in one of two things. And they're both fears. A fear of failure, which is mostly talked about, or a fear of success. Fear of failure or fear of success. That's usually what keeps us from doing something. We fear man. We fear ourselves. What if I succeed? Will I get a big head? Will, will I get too prideful? Will I get too rich? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Failure leads to a complex shame. Success might lead to, again, greed, pride, envy of more things. So what is the solution? Don't compete? Don't do something? No. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So my purpose this morning really is to convince you of this one thing. Fear God. Don't fear failure. Don't fear success. Fear God. Don't fear anything else in and of itself. Because doing so will end up in living a life of regret. In sports, I can think of so many times where I regretted what I did on the court or on the field. Anybody else have that experience? God, if I would have just, if I would have just taken my time. Or even in conversation, maybe. Maybe you're having a debate with somebody. If I would have just said this. I could have convinced them. If I would have just. Let's not live a life of regrets, church. We are talking about a battle. We're talking about a battle of the mind. We're talking about setting our, our eyes on the things that are excellent, like Bob spoke to in Philippians, Philippians 4.8. Set your mind on those things, those good things. This battle, Paul speaks to in 2 Timothy 4.7. If you want to cue that up on the, on the um, slide, I have this one. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there's a guy that was in battle. No doubt about it. He planned for it. He prepared for it. 
And the Holy Spirit actually did a lot better job than he did in planning for it and preparing him for it. But nonetheless, he was able to say he had fought the good fight, he finished the race, he kept the faith. In 1 John 5, 4 and 5, it also says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, we are all competitors because we are all charged with overcoming the things of this world. And right here it says it. Whatever is born of God overcomes this world. We're looking for victory. And here is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ overcomes the world. Amen? Set our eyes on Him. So that's the battle. What about the competitor? What makes a great competitor in advancing the kingdom of God? I'm going to give you five things. Okay, if you're into writing things down or, or whatever, this, this would be a good time to write these five things down. And don't just listen to what I say about them. Write them down and pray into them. Read into them. Because these are the things that will help you compete. That will help you to overcome these places of difficulty and struggle that we run into as Christians. Number one. Vision. Love the word vision. Vision is sort of close to the word dream, but it's not quite right. It's not quite the same. Dreams are dreams. Dreams are almost fantasy. Vision has purpose. Vision are dreams is dreams with purpose. And there is tremendous power in a vision. Tremendous power. When you believe a picture of the future, and that picture actually bleeds out of your heart. It's not just something that you, you ponder and it just kind of goes away like a, like a dream can do. I'm talking about you can see something in the future and it pulls you. See, that's what Jesus had. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some context to this. Jesus if you think about his life and all the things he had to endure, the vision that he had to have, he was God. It's a little unfair, God. But the vision that he had for him, himself in the kingdom of God is what pulled him through all of those things. And that, that can be found in Hebrews 12. Write this one down. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's all, it should be up here also. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and lets us run with endurance the race that has set before us, looking unto Jesus. There it is. We're running race. We've got our eyes focused on Him. The author and finisher of our faith. Now, the example of Jesus. Who, for the joy that was set before Him, that's the part that you don't want to miss, he had this joy that was set before him. And in that he endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw himself there. I have no doubt in my mind. He saw the end. He saw 
the absolute disintegration of the impact of sin on our life, sin and death. He saw it. He saw us in victory. He saw himself at the right hand of the Father. He saw all of those things as he endured the ridicule, the beatings, the shame, the hanging on the cross, the dying in front of hundreds and thousands of people. He saw it. He had a vision for the future. And it pulled him through all of those things. I don't know if any of you know the, the author Bill Hybels. But he had a, he had a, he's got a quote in his book called Axiom. Another great book if you want to write that down, Axiom. It's a really easy read. Each chapter is like two pages long. So for somebody like me, it's great. But he says this about vision and about leadership. So I'm going to read it. Leaders, don't ever apologize for the strength of feeling you have for the vision that God has put into your life. Don't hide your feelings about it. God meant for you to feel as deeply about His vision for you as you do about anything. I mean that anything. Paint your God-given vision for your family, friends, colleagues, and total strangers, if they'll listen. Paint it as colorfully and passionately as you can. Just get it painted. So that people's hearts are stirred enough to shout, count me in. Anybody know Vince Lombardi? Remember that guy? That guy had passion. That guy was real. He was practical. He was open and transparent in front of his football team. He captured for those guys, those big, strong guys, a vision of victory. And he did a great job of painting that vision and expressing that vision to a group of people in a way that they were able to accomplish together very, very many things that they couldn't have accomplished on their own, apart from the other individuals on the team. There is tremendous power in vision. When you want it that bad, it pulls you. Now, that can be applied in very good ways, and that can be a very dangerous thing to embark on. Again, let's go back to the anchor, the center point of the message. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Number two, you must be qualified. That sounds hard. Great thing about the kingdom of God is it requires one thing. Our faith. Our acceptance of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The fact that we were born into sin and there was nothing we could do about that. But through acceptance of His promise and His Word and His Son Jesus and the fact that He died on the cross to squash all of sin and death. And there is only through Him that we can get to the Father. That qualifies us. Amen. That qualifies us. So usually when I think to sports or competition, you think to talent or giftedness. Well, in the kingdom of God, you think to faith. That's what qualifies us. And you can read in Hebrews 11, I'm not going to go through it, but there are some tremendous examples of faith. The patriarchs of the faith. Guys like Abel, Enoch, Noah, 
Jacob, Moses, the walls at Jericho. Those events, those people through the history of the church, through the history of the kingdom of God showed great faith in their God to overcome things that quite frankly wouldn't have even been close to possible on their own. I'm going to read from Colossians 1, 17 through 22. That should be up here as well, Elodie. If there is a center point message in the gospel, I think this is it. This would be a good, a good one to highlight too. Colossians 1, 17 through 22. And he, that is Jesus, is before all things, and in him, that is Jesus again, all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Preeminence is a big word. What it means is first. He is absolutely first. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, you, me, us, who were once alienated, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you, wow, here's a big, this is the, the payoff pitch, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Oh, that's heavy. If that doesn't get you excited, you need to do this again. Put your fingers on your, your wrist. This is a big deal, church. If you don't have this, I'd also encourage you to look up in Ezekiel 36.26 because if you don't have it, it's still possible. You just have to ask. Ezekiel 36.26 says, I will give you a new heart. He's talking to his people here. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. If you're not energized by those words in Colossians 1, 17, 22, ask for it. Ask Him to renew your heart. Once you renew your heart, then your mind starts to be renewed. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can match up these dreams and visions that He's placed in our heart and in our mind. As we fix our eyes on Him, we can do great things. Like march around a city called Jericho, give a shout, and the thing tumbles. Did the people do that? No, God did that. But he asked them to do very specific things in order for those things to occur. Could God have just given the shout and blown apart the city? Absolutely, he could have. But he's looking for participation. Why? Because he wants our heart. We sang about that this morning. Here's my heart, God. You give your God your heart through the things that, that you do out of obedience. He places things, He places situations in our life where we have an opportunity to act on obedience, to do something. 
We're not ignoring those things. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus, but we're not ignoring the dreams and the visions that He's given us. There is no difference. Here's the thing, there is no difference. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, He will turn those desires and those visions into fruit for Himself. Number three. Must be committed. I'm going to go to Colossians 1.23. I don't think that's up here, but I'll read it. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's exhorting us here to continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. And meditating on those words really requires us to think about commitment. We need to spend time with Him. We need to train ourselves. We need to be willing to be trained by the Holy Spirit. That takes a tremendous amount of commitment. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I think of commitment, I usually think about the word yes. Somebody asks you to do something. You're going to commit to it? You've got to say yes, right? I'm going to encourage us to think about the opposite. Let's think about the word no. It's also a commitment. And I would argue that some of the most committed people on the planet are those who say no to almost everything. I'm going to say that again because it's kind of a hard one for me. I would argue that the most committed people that you'll find on the planet will say no to almost everything. If we fix our eyes on Jesus and He's navigating our hearts and navigating our minds through His Holy Spirit, there are a lot of opportunities that we'll run into. Opportunities to glorify God and opportunities that will steal us from what God would have us to do to carry out His plans and purposes. Sometimes these are even good things. There's a lot of stuff going on even in church right now. And those things are awesome. But here's the thing. Not everyone needs to do everything. Body ministry is a phenomenal concept, is it not? I know there's prayer groups, there's, there's life groups going on, and, and please don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not giving anybody an excuse to do nothing I'm just saying we need to have some purpose here and a filter maybe in what we choose to say yes to and what we choose to say no to. But in Matthew 5.37, Jesus said it himself. He's, he's talking about oaths here um, and that we shouldn't, we shouldn't take oaths that we're not able to live up to. He says right here, it's plain as day, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than that is from the evil one. That's heavy. Again, that's heavy stuff. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's the context of commitment that I think we need to center on. If we want to be good competitors in the kingdom of God, we've got to have that purpose that gives us that ability by the, by the Holy Spirit to say yes to those things that He wants us to do and to say no, even politely, hopefully, to those things that, you know what? I can't do that because anything I do over there is going to steal from what God has me purposed to do over here. And believe me, people will be okay with that. If that's the context, that's the heart that you're delivering that message to. You know, I got, somebody comes up to me and says, we got this, you know, this prayer group on Tuesday night. And uh, boy, it'd be really great if you could come. I mean, who here wouldn't want to say, yeah, love to, I'd love to support that. But on Tuesday nights, that's the only free time usually that I have as a dad to speak into my kid's life. So I'm, I'm charged to raise those kids. And if, if Tuesday night is the night that we've purposed to invest into their life, do you see the potential for ooh, undecisiveness here and, and maybe doing something that would appear to be very good and in fact would be very good? but at the expense of something else that's very good? I don't know. I need Holy Spirit to help me out with that stuff. But I'm just being real here because I know that's something that we all, we all um, encounter. But being committed is more than just saying yes. Being committed is having your yes be yes and your no be no. Number four, you must be Strategic. Oof, big word. It's been said that a failure to plan is a plan to fail. Where do we look in Scripture to bring context to this? It's pretty hard to find verses, actually. But if you look at the life of Jesus, now we're talking. He followed a plan. He had more insight into God's plan than anybody who walked on the earth. He followed it and he communicated it. And we can even see this when he sat down with his disciples at supper and told them, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer big time. I'm going to get killed. And it's not going to be pretty. And you're going to alienate me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Very specific. He communicated the plan. And even though those he communicated the plan to had some trouble with it, it was confirmed and they grew out of it. See, Jesus wasn't just blowing with the wind. That's my point here. And I tend to do that. I tend to just say, God, I'm kind of stuck here. <clears throat> I don't know exactly what to do, if I should step back or step forward. So just blow on me a little bit here. Send me down the right direction and we'll all be okay. We'll just kick the can down the road. No, I believe that God wants us to be more intentional than that. If we take a step and it's the wrong step, He's going to be gracious enough to point that out to us if we're listening well. 
If we're taking the right step, He's going to be gracious enough to encourage us and take us the way that He would have us to go. Again, I think back to fear of failure and fear of success. But God is asking us to be engaged. God is requiring us to be engaged, to take steps. So Jesus wasn't just blowing with the wind. He actually caught the wind and it carried him. As he lived life here on earth, he was a shining example of catching the wind of God. He did it perfectly. Catching the wind of God and communicating it to those in his sphere of influence in a way that helped them become a better reflection of who they were and who he was. So goals. Here's a hard question, and I would have been in probably most people's camp here. You might surprise me. How many here set goals for themselves? That's good. A little higher. Don't be afraid. Okay. Now, I'm not condemning anybody because probably three years ago I would have been in that chair. My arms crossed. Yeah, I really should set goals. Always wanted to, but I don't know exactly how. Just do it. Just do it. But think about, think about it when you do it. And here's a little acronym that can help you set goals that will help you and not hurt you. They're called SMART. If you've got a pencil, you know, write this one down. SMART goals. Now this is about being strategic. Okay? So when we're setting ourselves up to be competitors, this is where the rubber meets the road on being strategic. Okay? Set SMART goals for yourself. This is one step you can take. Smart, specific, S equals specific, measurable, achievable, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, seriously, realistic, don't set them too high. And here's the big one, time-bound. Time-bound. Now here's where we start to draw a little box. Say, I want to do this thing by this time. Oh, that's accountability. Yep, it is accountability. Get used to it. It'll be good for you. So set smart goals and the plans to achieve them. Setting goals is one thing. Setting your, putting yourself in an environment to achieve them is the next. But as you do this, as you're strategic about how you go about um, advancing yourself in the faith, advancing the kingdom of God, uh, that's really, really helpful. And finally, number five, you must have a great attitude. You know that song we sang, uh, Here's My Heart? When God says He wants our heart, attitude is a big part of that. 
When we worship God, we worship Him with our attitude. I know that some people here probably think they're less than qualified to sing or play an instrument. You know what? In God's kingdom, that doesn't mean much because what He's after is our heart. When we're worshiping, if we are giving Him our heart, it really doesn't matter what's coming out of our voice or what's coming out of our our movements. He knows and you know. And so when we worship God with our attitude, He does great, great things in our life. He makes us very good soldiers, very good competitors in the kingdom of God when we give Him our heart, when we give Him our attitude. There's a story in Numbers 13 about this. And um, if, you're, if you have your Bibles, uh, go there. So, setting the stage here, uh, God had given Moses a vision for a land called Canaan. And he said, Moses, I'm going to give it to you. You need to do this. You need to send one person from each tribe, the 12 tribes, out as spies into Canaan to see what's there. I'm going to give it to you. We got to do this. So he sent these guys out. Uh, Shamwa, I'm going to butcher these names and just warn you. Shaphat, Caleb, Igal, Hosea. Um, Arnie, you might need to check me on this, but I believe Hosea was the one that was Joshua, right? Palti, Gadiel, Gadai, Amiel, Sether, Nabai, Gul. Or Jewel. Maybe. That's better than Ghoul. Jewel's way better than Ghoul. So Moses called uh, these guys, and specific, specifically Joshua, uh, and said, go to the south, go up to the mountains with these guys, and see what the land is like. See what the people are like. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether the cities uh, are strongholds, whether they're really strong, or whether it's going to be pretty easy to take them. We just need to know. I mean, God's given us this land. It's already you know, some, something he's promised to us, but, but we need to take some steps here. So, hasta la vista, and uh, give me a report when you get back. So they came to this valley where they cut a branch of uh, grapes that were apparently so big that they had to put them on a, a pole that these two guys put on their shoulder and carried. Now, can you imagine a a valley with grapes that big? I mean, I don't know if there was... It says a cluster, but a cluster of grapes? Are you kidding me? That two guys would need to carry? This must have been some kind of land, right? So they saw these things. They saw these people. There were some giants in the land. And the 12 guys came back, and 10 of them said, uh-uh, we can't go up against these people. They're stronger than we are. We're like grasshoppers in their fields. <laughs> there's, there's no way. I mean, Moses, come on. You know, we had it better off in Egypt. 
Ugh. I mean, isn't that frustrating to think about? I can't imagine what, what frustrations God felt when he's saying, you guys got the land, but you just got to go do it. Well, two of the guys that came back said, well, here's the thing. Yeah, they got strongholds, they got cities, they got, you know, tough people, giants, but that doesn't really matter. Oh, and by the way, um, they've got phenomenal crops, very fertile fields. It actually looks like it's a land that flows with milk and honey. They were excited. That was Joshua and Caleb. They were excited about this land. And so there were two opinions here. Ten guys said, no, because. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, if. No, because. No, because, 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 because. Yeah, if, 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 if. There's a real difference there, and it points out our attitude and how we approach things. The attitude of Joshua and Caleb was set with their eyes on Jesus, with their eyes on God. Their attitude was, yeah, I mean, God's given us the land. We've got to do this and this and this and this and it's ours. The other guys were like, no. In order to have the land, we'd have to do this and we'd have to do this and we'd have to do this. There's no way. Attitude, attitude, attitude. When God gives us visions, when God gives us dreams that we know He set us apart to do, do them with the yes-if attitude, not the no-because attitude. That's challenging, I know. It's challenging for me, but yes-if. We can do it when these things carry, out, carry themselves out or when I do this. Not no because... Name your excuse. So that's the lesson of Numbers 13. So, in conclusion here, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a, a song at the end of this that I think kind of captures this message really well. It's a, it's a current song. My kids really like it, and I really like it. Um, but it really lines up well with the first uh, scripture that, that Bob read. But in conclusion here, I just want to say that we have been designed to compete. We've been designed to compete. Jesus expressed in himself how to compete in the spiritual realm. Many, many examples that we could go to. The Word of God commands us to compete, to overcome. And the Holy Spirit equips us to compete. So I am actually giving you permission to not not be so hard on yourself with your competitive nature because God gave it to you. But the thing is, you got a choice now. You can compete for your glory or you can compete for God's glory. Competing for your glory will put you in a frame where you're going to live life of regret. When you're living for God's glory, you're going to live a life of fulfillment, and destiny that brings others to the knowledge of Jesus Christ.
We'll play the video. Amen. Lord, we uh, are so humbled. Lord, just by your presence, God, you are an amazing God, a living God that shows up in our life every day if we look, if we fix our eyes on you. God, help us to set our sights on heaven. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and fight this good fight. Lord, you have plans you have dreams that you have set in our, in our hearts, in our minds. And God, help us to, to obey you. Lord, by carrying those things out as we fix our eyes on you. Lord, above it all, as we fix our eyes on you. Lord, help us to bring about a reflection in our life and the circumstance and our spheres of influence, God, that draws others to yourself. Because we are in a kingdom-building work. And it is a battle. But Lord, you have already won the victory. You've already promised us the land. So as we approach this life and these things that you've set us apart to do, help us to approach them in the attitude of yes, if, not no, because. Thank you, we love you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.